All right, our speaker in this session is our brother Dave Miller. Dave uh, is pretty much regular on our program, and I'm very thankful uh, for that. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he is the executive director of Apologetics Press and has uh, three master's degrees. I, I don't know why he hasn't worked on four, but he's <laughs> settled for three um, and then has a Ph.D. on uh, top of on top of that. Um, very prolific writer. Um, and uh, I I am a collector of Dave Miller books and. Um, uh, the, 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 he's first of all a very good writer he also is very well studied in the topics that he writes on but also and here is uh, kind of a unique I think um, aspect to Dave is um, he addresses topics that I'm not seeing other people address uh, and he has, uh, for example, he's talked about in uh, one of his books, whether having a wall, uh, how Christians should feel about having a wall. Uh, and, well, I didn't hear anybody talking about that, let alone trying to offer a, um, a biblical explanation of that. And um, I brought three of my absolute favorite books that come from Dave, and um, would um, they they kind of cover the our illustrations of what I'm talking about? But there have been some that have written books on baptism, uh, but this book on baptism and the Greek made simple is really a super, super good book. And uh, highly recommend if you don't have that uh, to secure that book. And then he writ he's written a book on modern day miracles and um, the subtitle, Do Miracles, Tongue Speaking and Holy Spirit Baptism Occur Today? Talk about timely, relevant. Um, you can see that it's not like a massive read. Uh, and that's another thing about Dave, um, except piloting the straits, he sort of got a little windy on that one. But that's a, that's another story uh, that we're not going to. I already went there, did I? Sorry. Um, and then, why do people suffer? Um, this is a must for everybody's library. Absolute must. Not only does Dave approach it in just a super logical way, but each chapter ends with uh, some uh, thinking, what he calls thinking points. And boy, those are, are just excellent points to uh, uh, kind of spur on your own thinking if you're reading it on your own, or if it's a text that's being used in a Bible class, which I highly recommend um, for class discussion. But um, some of Dave's books are available in the bookstore, and uh, he's he's got some others too. That uh, ApologyExpress.com uh, org. They, and they can order the books on that. Okay, apologeticpress.org is another place you can go to see the lineup of what uh, uh, Brother Dave has. 
He's a good friend. He's a good brother. He's somebody that uh, I consider a confidant. Um, there have been some real challenging Bible questions that uh, have been posed uh, through the years, and Dave has been uh, one that I've uh, used as a sounding board in um, some of those questions, and he's always uh, very kind and gracious to uh, spend time answering that. So anyway, uh, without uh, further delay, Brother Dave, come preach the word. Preach the word. Here's what I need. What a dear brother, kind. He he talks better about me than my wife. <laughs> In fact, I may get this tape just for her. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to cover this topic, and I'm sure it'll be very inadequate. Um, Denny gave me some direction on this when he assigned this topic, and um, I've done my best to try to deal with some of the parameters, but there's so much that needs to be said that we're not going to have time to do. You would agree with me, would you not, that America is the most financially, economically blessed country in human history. Mm -hmm. yes, sir. I mean, that can be proven to be true. More than Israel, God's own people. I'm not suggesting that our country has ever been a Christian nation in the sense that new, we're talking Bible, New Testament Christianity, but the orchestrators of our republic and our culture, their attitude was there's only one God. He's the God of the Bible. There's only one religion. Many of them frequently referred to it as true religion, implying what? And they said that's Christianity. They said the Bible is the word of God. And there is a future state of reward and punishment, heaven and hell. And they said if a people ever lose that, they're going down. No motivation to have any morality. And morality becomes whatever people think and feel. And that's where we are. Well, why are we, why have we been so economically prosperous? Well, Christians would say, well, God's blessed us. He's blessed us. And where else in 2,000 years since the advent of Christianity has the New Testament church flourished more and sent missions worldwide other than the first century apostles, it's right here. Think about that. God's been active here. Well, why? Why are we going to lose this? Because if we lose our Christianity, we ought to expect to see a lot of economic chaos and a lot of other social and moral uh, concerns. Why? Because Christian principles have always been the glue of our society. However poorly some people have lived it, and I recognize there's a lot of bad things that's happened in our country, but compared to the countries of the world, in fact, um, Keith could talk about that at length. He goes to these other cultures and says, wow, Look how well we have it in this country, even with all of our foibles and failings. Well, it is because of the Christian religion that the Christian work ethic, what's one of our big problems right now? Yeah. Having trouble getting people to work, right? Mm -hmm. And our government is really at odds with that. Concern for the needy elements, the vulnerable, fragile elements of society, local charitable organizations, let alone God's favor. I ask you, are these things evaporating in our culture? Well, it's, it's, no, it's not rocket science as to why. Without Christianity as the glue to hold us together, civil society 
is not possible. And so what are you going to do? What, what do you want instead of Christianity? Atheism? There's no religion? Here are the uh, typical current uh, alternatives. And obviously the top one there is the real popular one now, right? We all understand that if you pay any attention at all, which I don't like to anymore. I've quit listening to a lot of radio and so forth. But socialism has big, become the big thing in our country now. And we've raised a generation or two of young people that think it's great. They don't see anything wrong with it. They, they just swallow in what they're fed in these Ivy League schools, and they don't go look at history and look around and look at the Bible. What does the Bible say about these matters? Let me define this for you very quick. Uh, the bulk of our session will be devoted to this, and we'll talk about kind of what, what can we do. Uh, so these are dictionary definitions that I'm going to show you, but Karl Marx is kind of the fellow that has been credited with uh, advocating this um, in the 1800s, wrote the Communist Manifesto. Uh, by the way, um, I did some research on the three uh, ladies that uh, founded uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, do Black Lives Matter? Of course they do. But two of them are avowed Marxists. Make no bones about it. They're not Christian in any sense. They don't agree with Christianity. Well, then uh, the Russian Revolution, Lenin, early 1900s, applied these principles. You know, Stalin came along. Now, this was my parents' generation, World War II. My dad was born in 1921. Do you know Stalin killed thousands, or was it millions, of his own people? <clears throat> Well, that, that fits hand in glove with Marxism and socialism and the like. And then after, uh, as World War II was winding down, Chiang Kai-shek and all that, you remember Mao Zedong applied it uh, to China. Well, what are we talking about? And it takes a while to kind of ferret through this, but here's some of the main principles, economic, political theories that advocate collective or government ownership. So generally speaking, much more government control of the people, of the country, and so forth, especially when it comes to the distribution of goods, production, and the economy. That's a major factor. A very important feature of uh, socialism is that uh, there's really no private property. Now, that may be one way that uh, pure socialism will never take over America because Americans believe, I want my car, and I want to be able to drive my car where I want to drive. Although, as generations come on, they are being nurtured and molded to be much more accepting of a lot of things that people in communist and socialistic countries accept, like sheep. A stage of society in Marxist theory transitional between capitalism and communism, distinguished by unequal distribution of goods and pay according to work done. This is a big factor. Unequal distribution of food, of uh, goods. You'll see this buzz term. In fact, one of our presidents in the last few years used this uh, frequently, and I'm confident the average American just went, Psh. okay, redistributive justice. Hey, we're all for justice, aren't we? See, that's how error presents itself. It, it uses terminology and vocabulary that disarms you. Uh, so if you have a problem with same sex, you are homophobic. Ooh, nobody wants to be phobic, so I guess we ought to just capitulate and accept the view. Well, that's what it's intended to do. Mm -hmm. Satan is a master of uh, refashioning, reshaping the presentation of evil, right? Going back to the beginning with a piece of fruit that looked good. Mm -hmm. The government taxes those who have more money in order to move wealth from one group to another. 
So the government, by coercive measures, does that. Modern socialists, therefore, you will hear our politicians using this kind of terminology. We need to spread the wealth around. We need to, uh, you need to pay your fair share. You know, see, that's all just buzzwords. That's all uh, covert ways to say, we're going to take your money and we're going to give it to whoever we think we ought to give it to. And generally, it will be people that we want to vote for us. I'm not being unkind. I believe that's exactly what's going on. Everybody ought to have a phone. You know, they say that as if that's written into the Constitution of the universe. Open your Bible, look in the, in the back under PHO any phone, see if you can find that somewhere. Okay, so how are we going to do that? You're going to pay for it. It's on your phone, cell phone deal. Have you looked at it? It's there. You are paying for free phones. <clears throat> now, as a Christian, if you want to do that, great, right? But our government was set up by men who said, we're going to form a government that's, that, in which the people govern themselves, and therefore the government's only permitted to do what the people consent to. Did you consent to that? You wouldn't believe the things that your money is being taken and used for that you would not consent to. And the founders would say, that's illicit. You've allowed the political forces to get out of control because you're wallowing in your prosperity. You shake your head, but you go on because you're living good and eating good. But it's progressive. You don't, don't stop it back there. Like You know what they said? We stopped it over a three-pence stamp. They said... That wasn't the money. It was the enormity of the wrong that was being committed. If the government can say, I'm doing this to you, then the government can say, I'm going to take your car, I'm going to take your house. We're going to do whatever we want to do to you. So their attitude was, that goes against God's will. I'm telling you, that's what they said. And we therefore have a God-ordained right to respond to that. When you think about that, Romans 13, we're supposed to obey the government. You know what they said to that? Like they didn't know about Romans 13. They said, read the chapter. He's talking about where government serves as God's deacon, diakonos, uh, servant. That's not talking about what you do whenever the government no longer serves the purpose for which God intended it to serve. That's a different matter. You ought to go back and read their stuff. It's astounding. Let's think for a moment about the premier socialist countries of our day. There's some European ones as well. Let's just take one of these. How about Cuba? Remember when uh, Castro, back in the 50s, wasn't it, had his uh, big revolution? You know today, Cuba's mostly state-run economy, universal health care. Everybody gets health care. Government provides it, such as it is. Government paid education. We'll pay for your schooling. Aren't these big things that we're hearing about in our country? Numerous social programs. All right, how how they done with that redistribution of wealth? 20 years ago, by, by 2002, over a million Cubans got out of there as fast as they could, and they've been streaming over ever since. Here's an article by a Wall Street Journal journalist. Uh, it's a little old now, 10 years. Cubans accept and adapt to their iron-hard lives. Havana, it's as if this city has been preserved in amber. Cubans have been forbidden to buy new cars. So you'll go to Havana, and you won't see any new cars. Marxism says, no, we're not doing that. So you just got to keep fixing up. A lot of nice 57 Chevys there, by the way. I mean nice. 
But the government can step in because they deem this is the way things need to go. They're the mind of the whole country. Postal service is uh, very slow. Uh, Cuban standard of living has deteriorated thanks to the communist government and our trade embargo back at the time and the disappearance of being propped up by the Soviets. They were getting help from uh, other communists. Hundreds of thousands of Cubans live in substandard free housing. It's free, but it is substandard shacks. They line up to receive government rations of chicken, rice, and even sugar. Postal service slow, expensive, and unreliable. We gripe about the postal service here in this country. We're so blessed at how good it is compared to the other places. Home telephones are all but non-existence. Internet access severely restricted, mostly reserved for the government and tourist hotels. The monthly rations are distributed in small neighborhood shops. People line up 10 or 15 deep. Well, that sounds like Walmart, but it's not. <laughs> you want to go every day just to live, just to survive. You go get what the government's going to give you to eat. So you line up with a lot of other people, and that becomes your life, even toilet paper in short supply. But socialism is great. British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, you know, back, she was contemporaneous with Reagan. What a great lady. She was anti-socialism. She said, in all of its incarnations, wherever and however it's been applied, it is morally corrupting. Now, Christians ought to sit up and pay attention to that. Oh, okay, we're not talking about just different opinions about political philosophies or economic theories. We're talking about what's moral and what's immoral. But what do you think she meant by that? Let's walk through some Bible passages. I'm going to try to show you in the short time I have that it's anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible, apart from being anti-American. How about the fact that it violates the Bible, I mean, clear-cut Bible admonition in both Old and New Testament that we are not to be greedy, we're not to be covetous. You say, well, that's capitalism. No, it's not. That's not endemic to that. Uh, you can go... Uh, using your own discretion, you know, buy a car wash or something and fix it up and scrimp and keep it going and, and make money. And it's up to you what you do with that money, whether you're greedy. It's not part of the system. But covetousness is part of socialism. Because by definition, it promotes that among those who expect to receive from others. It's counting on the government to take what you have and to give to them. And they have every bit as much right to have what you have. And if you won't give it to them, then it ought to be given to them by a higher power. It encourages jealousy by suggesting that the have-nots are being mistreated by the haves. Have you heard that? I mean, think of, you know, I don't have any love for rich people, whatever that is. You and I know as Christians that we're, we're filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. But I, I have enough sense of justice about me to know that when the government says, okay, we're going to start taxing the rich people, you know, 80% of their income and only 50% of the, these people and then only 10%, and we're not even going to tax them. That's not right. That ought, you ought to see that as going against the sense of justice. We're not talking about whether God urges and encourages Christians to give to other people and to help other people and bring them up. Oh, absolutely. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the government comes in and says, we're taking your money and here's what we're going to do with it. And those who, who are on the receiving end are going to vote for those people, aren't they? Obviously. 
by insisting on economically equalizing the population, citizens are thereby encouraged to covet what the government promises to provide. The government is perceived to be the entity that can and should make it possible for those who do not have what others have to acquire them. So really at the heart of socialism, there is this um, covetous attitude. And so you could bring passages up to date. You know, are, are members of our society coveting their neighbor's cars and clothes and bank account and uh, cell phone, electronic gadgets and on and on and on? And the government says, we'll give you some of that stuff? Well, what would you on the receiving end of that think? And notice that's cultivating then this attitude of dependency, which is also absolutely anti-biblical. I think I'll touch upon that. Number two, therefore, it naturally encourages envy and uh, jealousy. Old Sir Winston Churchill, again, you know, the younger generation, we don't know anything about him. He may have died before I was even born. But he was a critical feature during World War II in saving our, our country and their country. Otherwise, we'd all be sitting here speaking German or Japanese, right? Mm -hmm. you know, younger generations, who cares? What's that got to do with anything? <clears throat> he says socialism is the philosophy of failure, the, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. These, these were insightful intellectuals that had looked at all of this, examined it carefully, and could see what was going on. Of course, you know the New Testament, uh, very clear about the fact that uh, envy is bad. It's, um, it's uh, self-centered, self-absorption that's bad. Uh, it, uh, it creates confusion, notice that, and every evil thing. You don't want to promote that in your culture. You want to preach against it, speak against it. And socialism positions the entire government in a position uh, to promote it. You know, Solomon kind of talked about the fact that there's going to be an element of the population that's going to envy what you do and what you have because they haven't decided to make the choices you've made. Notice that's the bulk of the problem of our culture. Yeah. I went through Proverbs. This is in a, the God and Government book. I went through Proverbs and looked at all the references to poverty. And I came up with, uh, it's been so long I've forgotten, at least 10 reasons for poverty. And they all have to do with personal choices. Laziness, not want to work, spending your time idly, spending too much money on things that you don't need to be spending it on. Those are the main problems in our country. We don't have true poverty in our country as the Bible depicts. How can you say that, Dave? Oh, so you've opened up the newspaper recently and saw how many people died of hunger and starvation in our country in the last two years or so? That doesn't happen. But in countries that actually have poverty, it happens all the time. So we've redefined the word poor from what God has defined it. The Bible has a very specific definition for it, and it's not the one the U.S. government puts on it, I guarantee you. We've got to go back and educate ourselves with God's word. Well, notice it's a short step then. If you want something and you desire it and you're jealous of somebody else for it, it's a short step to stealing. Are the statistics in our country for stealing higher than they've ever been? Yes. And is it stealing among elements of the society that uh, want to take what they want? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It enables the government, notice even the government's doing it. I mean, if, if I were a person on the receiving end and I see the government as the go-between to get from these rich people what I want, well, it's a simple thing to say, you know what, government's taking too long, which is true. So I'll just go take it myself. 
There's statistical evidence that that's in fact happening in our country. If we do not consent to what our money is used for, the government has no right to take it from us. And if they do, they're thieves. They're no different than the armed robber on the street corner that comes up and puts a gun in your face and says, give me your money or your life. Remember Jack Benny? He hesitated on that, remember? Like I said, your money or your life? He was known for being stingy. He said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> Older generation would have really laughed. <laughs> We're thinking, we're thinking. We're thinking, good, good. At least you're thinking, that's good. But wait a minute. I thought the Bible expounded the notion of Christian socialism in the early church in Jerusalem. It absolutely does not. See that surface little affirmation? We go, oh, okay, and accept it and go on our way. We can't do that on any subject in the Bible. We need to go see what the Bible has to say about it. You know, as a matter of fact, the, the early church there in Jerusalem was composed of members out of every nation under heaven. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, right? Jews that had come, they descended upon uh, Jerusalem for the dual uh, festival events of uh, Passover and Pentecost. And so they, they brought provisions, came from all over the country. Look at the listing there. People like from Arabia and all over the place. They come and they converge there. Well, they were fully expecting to stay a certain period of time and then go home. No way they could have anticipated becoming New Testament Christians suddenly stunned on the day of Pentecost, seeing what the Holy Spirit did to the apostles, and then they hear the gospel preached, and they, by the thousands, begin responding. You think they want to turn around and run home? So they hung around longer than they intended. They started running short on supplies. And so there was a need to collect funds in order to help them. There was no common stock like the government in order to redistribute to those who were deemed needy. Very unique situation. And... Uh, and it was up to the members to make those choices uh, to sell. Uh, notice these would have been Jerusalem people that lived in the vicinity that would have had assets that they could convert in order to help with the situation. But here's the main point. Strictly voluntary. Even though there were apostles there, they didn't set themselves up like a government and coerce uh, the members in order to, uh, to give. And, of course, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, it's clear this was a temporary, very unique situation, never arose again. Uh, is there ever a time in our life, in, in the local congregation, where we need to come up with funds in order to help somebody here or abroad? Absolutely. And that's all that was. It certainly was not an endorsement of socialism. Look at these critical principles. We need to look a little closer at some of the things that the Founding Fathers said. Uh, because I don't believe any of them were New Testament Christians, but I've been astounded at how much they were expounding the Bible. And they're, they're, they're on points that I don't remember preachers expounding to me as a kid growing up in the Lord's Church. Like this idea of unalienable rights. Where's that in the Bible? I assure you it's there. Remember the founders said life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness were three of them. There are others. Now think about it. What does the Bible say about life? Who gave you life? God. Not the government. And who has the right to take it away from you? Only God and his designated emissaries for any specific thing that you do that merits it. See, because that's endemic to you. That, that's, that's inherent in the fact that you were created by God and he gave you life. Amen. So the government can't just do anything it wants about that. Like mandating or permitting... 
since 1973, the killing of over 60 million babies. You think God's going to sit still for that? Indefinitely? And in association with our lives, we have the right to property. Well, that sounds kind of selfish. I'm telling you, the Bible teaches it. You can have property without being selfish. Look how Marx says this is really the heart of Marxism. The theory of communism may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. Now think about that. If you'll pay attention, see, we let this slip by us whenever it's brought up in, in public venues. But it's all over the place. They're promoting it. And you and I just kind of let it go and don't stop and think about it. That's not right. God, God wants all human beings to have freedom of choice, to decide where they want to spend eternity. And that includes a bunch of things like the freedom to own property. Let me prove it to you. You remember in Acts chapter 5, whenever Ananias and Sapphira were part of that, that pooling of funds to help uh, the needy, uh, the needy Christians, and uh, Ananias and Sapphira sold the property, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet, and basically told them and everybody, hey, this is all we got for the property. So their sin was lying. <laughs> lying. And his response to that is, look, when you had that land, was it not your own? Nothing unscriptural about that or sinful for you to own land. And after it was sold, wasn't the procedures too to do with whatever you wanted? That proves that socialism is not biblical because you have a divine right to own land and to decide what to do with it, how to dispense with it. After they sold the land and got the money, they could have kept it. We decided we're not going to give anything. Well, they might have needed a sermon from the apostles about loving their fellow man, loving their fellow Christian, so forth. But there was no coercion there. That was their choice. You know, maybe they said, man, this is all we got for it, but we want to give it to the mission work that Keith's doing. So we're going to hold it for that. I'm sure the apostles said, that's fine. What about the parable of the 11th hour workers? Remember that, where he, these guys come in, he says, okay, how much you want me to pay? I'll pay you this much. <coughs> More come in. Finally, at the very end, what, one hour before closing time, and, and he decides, I'm going to give you fellas the same amount that I'm giving everybody else. And man, everybody else got upset. That's not fair, was, what, was basically their attitude. Look at what Jesus said. It's essentially, Jesus, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? That's what I agreed to pay. You agreed to receive it? Take what is yours. There's private property right there. This is yours. You've earned it. You have a right to it. But I want to give to this last man the same as you. Now look at this. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Now that's biblical. That's biblical. It's the inalienable right to private property, to own property. The heart of socialism is to take property away from people and turn it over to the government. By the way, who is the government? It's a bunch of people like us. But they seem to be the dumber, less intelligent, less Christian people, right? The founders address that. You better put your brightest, most moral people in those positions or you'll be in trouble real quick. All people, therefore, have a God-given right to accumulate their own things and then to dispose of them as they see fit. Governments to function under God's directives with his permission, and they have no right to infringe upon the God-given rights of its citizens. That's clearly what Romans 13 
and uh, 1 Peter 2 and other passages say. So any power on earth that contravenes this unalienable right is obviously in violation of God's will. Well, that's exactly what socialism perpetrates upon large numbers of people. Number two, socialism violates the God-ordained unalienable right of liberty, the inherent right that you God placed within you to make your own choices. See, again, ultimately all of this is headed toward eternity. You're going to decide where, where you're going to be in eternity. That's the way it needs to be. That's why we should not in our evangelism try to uh, bully people, try to pester them, you know, just keep, okay, okay, I'll be baptized. <laughs> well, you know, you've wasted your time. Remember the man convinced uh, against his will is of the same opinion still. God doesn't want us to do that. And you notice how Jesus didn't? He was just so aloof in the sense that he just went around. If, if somebody wanted to hear, why he'd tell them. And if they, you know, oh, 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 oh. your choice, your choice. Kind and sweet about it but not, uh, not trying to just overwhelm them and, and urge them to get into the baptistry. Some, some of our brethren tend, I think, to do that. The decision of members to participate in the unique Jerusalem church contributions was voluntary. We mentioned that, and we noted that in Acts 2 and Acts 4, it was not a, a command for anybody to sell their property. Uh, there was no violation. They were just lying. Remember what Peter said to, to them when they came? What's gotten into your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? You're not lying to me. You're lying to God. There was the issue. A socialist government, by definition, overrides the free will of citizens in order to mandate its agenda. And here they are sitting up there, probably right now, thinking of all kinds of ways to take money from us and to spend it on illicit uses that we would absolutely say is not to be done. By the way, both the founders and the government have a very specific purpose for government. Uh, did I say the government? Both the founders and God give a very specific purpose for human human government ordained of God? Yes. Why? Can you put in one succinct sentence, what is government supposed to be doing? What's its purpose? <laughs> Most Americans, they, they don't know that. They think, well, man, people get in there so that they can decide how to spend money. That's the purpose of government, to spend our money. So cockeyed compared to what God wants it to be. People, God wants people to be free to decide their destiny. This event was clearly a temporary measure because of this extraordinary problem uh, that arose, clearly not intended to be normative for churches of Christ through history. Uh, socialism employs the civil government to enforce compulsory measures. Even the apostles did not get involved in that and pressure people to try to uh, get them to participate. Civil government usurps and perverts its divine role when it redirects itself to serve as an agent of redistributive justice and imposes its coercive power upon the citizen. You understand what I'm saying in case I made myself clear? This is wrong. Socialism, if you, Christians can flourish, Christianity can flourish under any government. Look at what it did in Rome. But that doesn't mean that that government's right in, in its standing with God. And I'm telling you, socialism is an anti-Christian economic philosophy. Socialism violates a very stringent biblical precept. When I studied this out, I could not believe how much the Bible says about this. Work, work, work. God wants us to work. Could you be guilty? You know, people there in, in uh, Montgomery, they stand on the street corners, dress nice, nice backpack, nice shoes, nice clothes. Nice bicycles, everything. Panhandling for money. Can you be guilty of sin 
by giving money to someone who won't work, this verse says you can. Oh, but I'm being charitable and compassionate and benevolent. Not according to this verse. You're enabling. You're damaging the human spirit as God intended it to function. Socialism wars against the human spirit and soul. It enables, even encourages indolence. Now it does. I'm telling you it does. It's been proven. The recipients of the Benevolence Project in the church at Jerusalem were industrious, conscientious Jews that traveled all that way. Very religious, dedicated. The Bible plainly teaches God expects all able-bodied people. No, we're not talking about the infirmed you know, the, the, all of those uh, segments of society that we ought to be very compassionate. I'm not talking about that. That's not what we're finding statistically is going on in our country. There are people that can be working and ought to be working and not standing on the street corner trying to take money from people that are willing to work when they're not. Passage after passage. Did you know that God worked? Six days. And then put them in the garden and said, now you're going to work. Was God being mean and punishing? No, work's not bad. See, that's the problem. We've condemned, convinced several generations it works really bad. If you, could, if you could win the lottery, you could quit your job and you wouldn't have to work. That's an unscriptural concept. Besides the gambling, God wants us to work. Be busy. Passage after passage makes that point. America was built on what we've typically called the work ethic. Well, where did that come from? It didn't come from the founders. I'm telling you, it came from the Bible. And God wants people to work. That's the rule, not the exception. Even in paradise, there was work. Work is not bad. It's not to be shunned. Parents who do not teach their children to work are setting those children up for problems in later life. I'm telling you, we're, we're, there's just too much of this, you know, come on, Dad, I want to play on my iPad. They're not cultivating their spirits in order to be productive Christians, let alone productive Americans in society. This is not good. They need to develop a healthy appetite for work. It shouldn't be something they dread and dislike. It's made to go hand in glove with the human spirit. Think of the under the law of Moses, this expression that occurs over and over and over. The work of your hands, the work of your hands. See, that's good. Look at how the passages that talk about it talk about the fact that God will bless what? He'll bless your land, your grain, your new wine. But what he means, when you go out and plant a vineyard, when you go out and plant olive trees and you cultivate them and work hard and toil, I'll bless that. And you know what the welfare system is? I don't want to do any of that. Just give it to me. That's not the blessing of God. God blesses the works of your hands. You have to be involved in that, and it's inherent in God's ability to bless the land. Do you know even Satan recognized that? No wonder Job's in such good shape. You've blessed the work of his hands. Job was a busy man, productive, industrious. He worked. That's why he was wealthy. How can God bless a man's work if he's idle? I've wondered if that's not where the, the old American saying, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. But it's taught in this, in this principle. Those who continually look to the government or stand on street corners and beg or those who make the rounds at churches in order to receive handouts. 
will remain in a dependent, degraded condition until they get busy taking the necessary steps to make themselves self-sufficient. I don't mean that to be harsh, sting, unkind, but I believe it's Bible truth. It's Bible truth. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have stopped and said, look, if you'll come and mow the grass, we'll help you. Oh, yeah, sure. Where do you live? Give them the address. Never sure. Over and over and over. We'll pick them up, take them, whatever. We're testing it to see. No, the Bible teaches Christians are people who are involved in hard work, sacrifice, being willing to put forth the necessary effort. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands. It's commanded. It is absolutely commanded by God. But look at this. This phrase here in the New American Standard, so that there will not be any in need. God does not want Christians to be that those needy individuals that are always going around having to ask people for handouts. You're not doing what you need to do so that you won't be one of those persons. Look at the uh, ESV. So that you are dependent on no one. Look at the magnitude of that principle. Now, I recognize that there are circumstances in life that come, infirmities of the flesh and so forth, where you have to be, widows have to be dependent upon people. You know, even under the New Testament, widows had certain qualifications they had to meet to be in that position. Remember that? But my point is, God recognized there are vulnerable elements that need assistance. Absolutely. My wife's experiencing a lot of health issues, and so that's taken more of my time, you know, to deal with medications on time and lung treatments and a lot of things. She needs help. But the rule, the general principle that God wants all of us to understand is we ought not to live a dependent existence. That's not good. That's not Christian. That's not setting a good example before the world. Is this being taught in our churches? They need to take 1 Thessalonians and they need to preach on this passage and tell the people what it means. Nobody in America is poor just because someone else is rich. The academic literature is very solid on what it takes to get out of poverty. You know what it is? There's a lot of these think tanks that will they'll lay it out there for you. Here it is. Go to school and graduate. Don't drop out. If you're married, don't be having babies out of wedlock. Get a job and stick with it. Not hard, is it? It's really not hard. It's not rocket science. You, you can see. And I could cite for you case after case, example after example, where when I find people in an indigent condition, they can't, just can't seem to get ahead. They live hand to mouth. It's constantly begging for help every time it's these things. Dropped out of school before they even graduated from high school. They've had two or three children out of wedlock. You know, again, I don't mean to be unkind. But the Bible, used the old King James, used a term for children being born out of wedlock. Remember what it was? And so there was a stigma, unappropriately attached to the child, I'll grant you. But there was such a stigma in our society that it helped keep it in check, you see. We just throw the doors open, eh, have sex with whoever you want, have as many kids you want, and the government will pay more money. Okay, this is all anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-American, and it's destroying our country. It's one of the features that is bringing our country down. But what's the solution? Go back to the Bible. The Bible teaches all of this. Summary. There's those same five points. Let's hurry up here. Dwight D. Eisenhower delivered a speech way back in 1949. Remember, he was... a uh, the Supreme Commander of all Allied Forces in World War II. For my time, but wow. 
If all that Americans want is security, you can go to prison. <laughs> you can sleep as much as you want, pretty much. You get all the food you want. You'll be protected and so forth. But look what he says about that. If you want to preserve your dignity and your equality as a human being, don't bow your neck to dictatorial government like that, given all that, that baloney. Wow. Uh, Ronald Reagan said, the American dream is not that every man must be level with every other man. That's socialism. The American dream is that every man must be free to become whatever God intends he should become. And God will help you. You can do it in this country. By the way, the pilgrims tried socialism. I don't have time to go into that. Did you know that? They actually tried it. Had a common stock and everything. And I mean, they nearly starved. And then they stepped back and said, okay, we need to have private ownership of land. Let everybody work their own land. Not coerce some to work other people's land. They stopped all that socialism stuff. And I mean, they flourished. Go back and look at it. Um, it's uh, in that book as well. All right, so many political trends in our country are threatening the very essence of Christian living, the woke movement, uh, critical race theory, illegal immigration, open borders, unbiblical economic policies that's created massive debt, uh, indoctrinating school children and transgenderism. How about drag queen story time that's sweeping the public libraries of our country? Mm -hmm. Environmentalism, animal rights, homosexual marriage, socialism. This is just a few of the things. There's so much, isn't it? Don't you feel kind of inundated and overwhelmed? What's a Christian to do in, in view of this sinister subversion? Well, the Bible's very clear. We're the, we have the only keys to success. We're in a position to see what they are. Number one, stay focused on the need to conform ourselves. When you're looking around, oh, look at all. Okay, but first, am I following God? Am I obeying God? Am I attending like I should? Am I, am I devoting myself to purifying myself like God wants me to do? Now, we've got to do that in the midst of this social chaos. We've got to. The church needs to be pure and stand strong for God's will. First, we should be obedient. That's our overall orientation. Fear God, keep his commandments, love God, love the people around you. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew, uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And by the way, he's the one that said, narrows the gate, difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it, but we can do it and remain faithful. Now, there's number one, remain faithful. Number two, stay focused on our prime directive. Bear Valley is certainly doing that. Keep that in mind. That's why we're here. Only here for a short while. Very temporary. Let's stay focused on trying to get other people to be aware. And then number three, realize this world is not our home. Let me end with these, um, with these verses and then we'll quit. It's th I, th I assume red is because things are psychedelic and they change colors and it looks nice. Uh, very quickly... Abraham lived as a foreigner country, for he waited for the city whose foundation, builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, past saints confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who say such things declare plainly they seek a homeland. Truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come, they could have gone back to Palestine. They didn't. Why? Well, they desired a better, a heavenly country. So God's not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a city for them. Romans 8, eagerly waiting for the adoption of redemption of our body. Here's our word for our theme for the week. We're saved in this hope. 1 John chapter 3, beloved, we're children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when, when uh, he's reward, uh, revealed, we'll be like him. And notice, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 Peter 1, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is coming. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And what about 1 Timothy chapter 4? Because we trust. 
in the living God. Uh, a lot of this material, so much more is in this book. There should be a few down there. If not, you go to our website. And um, that's it. Thank you for your attention. Sorry I went over a little bit. Thank you.